Dr. Glass. Yes, dear. It's always around all the books. For some reason, they do something to cool off the room just a bit. There's a table in the center. Sprawlings of notes, studies. And there's two people burning the midnight oil. You. And sitting across from you is Felix. It's getting quite late. And about time that usually you end the studies for the evening only to begin anew the next day. So, Lord Felix Royce stands up and walks over to his leather bag, which he brings to the table to begin packing things up. Learn anything interesting at school today, Felix? They're finding quite a lot of interesting things over on that island. Practically bathing in artifacts of such interesting study. Yes, it does lend a bit of credence to Abelard's theories, doesn't it? About the star map and the points of consonance and all that. Of course. The star map thing is a little hard to swallow at first, but Crowperch does seem to be special. Don't get me wrong. It's... I frankly admire the man. Well, of course, and uh, I think you have a skeptical mind like mine. So if you... If your read of his work is impeccable, then that means a lot. Is it too hot to walk? We could uh, walk and discuss it further. Sure. He swings his bag over his shoulder, having packed it. Got everything? Yes, uh, almost. And uh, she gathers up her notes, which she does fold carefully. She She's still a bit private about what she's researching. Uh, and she walks with him freely, easily, no cane in sight. Uh, swings her own bag over her shoulder and steps out into the evening air. Walking down the dimly lit cobblestone street, he continues, I just find it so fascinating. Don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy theory as much as the next person. But I feel as though practice is such a more viable field of study. Why hide behind the book when you can go see it firsthand? Go see Croper, she means. Yes. Look. And he pulls out a small cloth-wrapped stone. It's very small. He delicately unwraps the cloth as he's walking, and he holds it up between his fingers. And it looks like a little shard of obsidian. It glistens a bit. He says, I got this from a vendor. Didn't know what it was, but I, I recognized it. You didn't, you've seen the articles of what's coming off the island. It's funny. When I hold this, I feel more connected. Does that make sense? To, to the Nexus? Yes, it's, it's as though it's closer, it's more in reach. I can, I'll have to convert this to practical notes. I just don't know how to describe it yet. Doesn't Abelard have something like that in the in the head of his cane? It's similar, isn't it? The material. Do you mind if I if I see? Oh sure. He hands it over to you. 
And she takes it in her hand and holds it up to the light and almost with embarrassment tries to feel something. Roll a, a wisdom check. Uh, 17. Oh, sorry, 18. You feel for a moment the nexus. It's tough to describe, and in this moment you can almost understand why even Felix was having trouble. It's always present, but out of reach, except in certain situations. But here, you almost feel like you could reach out, and it's like, it's there. But describing what the sensation is would be, at this point, impossible. And she gives it back without saying anything. Uh, if I could, I don't know if you mind me asking. I know here the. I do appreciate that the Circle of Whispers respects everyone's privacy and individual journey or whatever. But it sounds like you and Abelard don't do any practical work? Only theoretical study? Only theoretical. I've been telling him it's time to move beyond. I mean, if we're going to make progress, he needs to approach practicality at some point. He refuses. But I, I prefer not to talk too much about Avalard. Certainly. And she's a bit relieved because uh, Avalard has been straight up teaching her magic. Uh, and she finds it curious that he hasn't the Felix. So she has no idea if Felix has the same capabilities she does. But you're you're a brilliant young man, Felix, and whatever the next steps are, I'm I can't wait to be there to see them. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I have some unfortunate news. Oh no. Is everything alright? Nothing to worry about, Isadora. I have to go. Fortunately. I had a a death. Somebody close to me. I've, I'm so sorry. Of course, it, it happens. It, they were just a little bit younger than I expected. It, it's nothing. But I'll be at the Sovereign Sea Gate. You can visit me. I may come back. I don't know how long I'll be. I might, uh, I might well come visit you if, you know, since you're leaving me alone with the true believers, I might need a break. Are you going to see your family? Of course. We have a small gathering. It's what you'd expect. Nobody's religious in my family, so it'll just be a bunch of dusty old people in a room. Nothing interesting. You, you don't talk about them much, and I always got the sense maybe there were difficulties there. If you need to write, you know where to find me. Of course. People say I'm a good listener, though. I have to say, Felix, I think I've been abusing your ear since we've both been here. No, I, I quite... You know so much about me. I quite like listening to you, Isadora. Now, it might not be soon. The Sovereign Seagate is not too far from here, and I have family coming from far and wide. So I'll be back in, in the office tomorrow. And... As he walks down those 
cobblestone streets, you notice he's a very eloquently presented person. You notice his footsteps as silence befalls the conversation for a moment and he seems to go into his own world. And you notice his feet are pointed straight ahead. His steps are paced and sure. He doesn't drag his feet. He doesn't stamp them. Instead, he mindfully places them lightly on the ground, one foot in front of the other. In many ways, his perfect gait is very recognizable. And so as you stand in the room with Esperanza, you hear two sets of footsteps walking across the hall. One very familiar, one not. And she feels that icy hand around her heart. Esper, dear, uh, how close are we to the room with the the tied-up man you saw? DM? Just down the hall, up the stairs. It's not many rooms here. Very close indeed. And the footsteps, they're heading in the opposite direction of the room. And if you're perceptive, you would hear the walls are, even though it's first class, the walls aren't the most thick. And you can hear, I, the captain said stay in, your, in the rooms. I just feel like it's too risky. Don't worry. This is the first class cabin. Nobody's going to be ushering us in here. The announcements for the whole ship. All right, well, we'll be quick. All right? You got it. Esper's going to lean closer and motion for Dr. Glass to kind of lean down as much as she can. That's, that's the man. The ones talking outside, one of them is the man. His room isn't far either. Speak into my mind, dear, and they won't hear us. Esper's lips kind of screw shut tight and her, her brows knit together and you can see her trying to focus all of the focus that she can focus in that way. She's thinking it hard. That's the man. I can hear it. He talked to me just earlier. I, I recognize his voice. His room isn't very far away. It's just up the stairs. And Dr. Glass, you'd also have recognized the voice and footsteps. Oh, yes. Uh... And she is trying to hide that her hand is shaking. Uh, and I think she has gone a bit pale. And she says, My, my dear, there's a very dangerous man who has captured whoever that is. More dangerous than someone from a powerful family. I... Do you have... Do you have any water or anything to drink at all? Uh, sure. Go up to a nearby pitcher that's just sort of in first class rooms. There's two cucumbers in it. A lemon. <laughs> it's beautiful. Double-handed. Tip water into a glass. Plonk it down. I hand the glass over. And she drinks some and I think you can see that this woman who so far has had an answer to everything does not know what to do. What? 
What does it mean, then, that he has a man tied up in his room? It's very curious that he would need to do such a thing. And she pulls herself together a bit and takes out of her medical bag the the echo light so that they can hear better. And she says, you're you're good at asking questions. If you, it, it helps me think. I, I don't, I don't really know what kind of questions I should be asking. Uh, that's all right. Uh, my dear, I think I've already given the game away that I have some uh, uncommon skills that th- the wider world might disapprove of. Is that fair to say? All I really know is that you know my name and I never gave it to you. Oh, that. That is uh, not an extraordinary ability. That is possibly a touchy subject. That is more about my professional history. I, uh, I do know who you are. I believe your last name is Boira. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Boira. Boira. Thank you. I've known who you are since you were 12 or 13 years old. I mentioned that I did some work advocating against using Xynoquil with minors, and that was, uh, well, that had a lot to do with you, Esper. I guess that's one of the names from one of the things that he must have used. I shouldn't be surprised. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you... One of the names from one of the things? I thought you would maybe have have known a little bit, but I guess the things that Dr. Faust gets up to aren't quite as shared. What's going on? I wrote a paper... A, a case study about you based on your, your session recordings and your files, but I didn't use your name. I changed your name. It, look, we can, we can, we can ignore decades this. Decades ago. We can ignore this for, for now. For now, we can just, we can put this to the side. What is going on with that man outside in the hall? He has powers uh, a, a bit like mine, but I regret to say stronger. He uh, uh, gave me this charming little limp when I confronted him about some, you know, little murders he committed. And I thought we had been friends. Uh, Normally, I pride myself on being a judge of character, and he properly fooled me. Not too long ago, either. But he's... made it very clear that people will die if I... You see, I was trying to find him, uh, and I hadn't given much thought to what I would do when I found him, which now I have. Uh, If we want to help that man, the moment is surely now. No, no. Fuck it. Fuck it. Okay, right. Let's... Let's go. Let's go. They're not even near the room. They're not even near it. We can... Would you like to... Do you consider yourself more of a distractor or more of an untire? 
I'm not unfamiliar with knots and ropes. Why don't I... I station myself outside and uh, you go in and be the hero. But first I'm going to do one thing because I'm a paranoid broad. I would like to cast Detect Magic to see if Felix has any nasty surprises waiting for us. You head out of the room, checking the hallway, of course, before doing so. And that is concentration, by the way. And you walk towards the stairs. You notice in the cocktail lounge, people are still chatting. There's fewer. Some heeded the captain's warning, but many didn't. And you walk up the stairs towards the room, and as you approach the door, you cast Detect Magic, and how does Dr. Glass do that? She's got like her cane over the tucked under her arm, and she gets a pocket watch out and winds it a bit. And the ticking is suddenly louder. If you're standing near her, you can all, it's like you can hear the ticking in your mind, strangely. Uh, and But to her, everything else goes quiet. So to the people in her immediate vicinity, it's suddenly like, all I can think about is the ticking of this watch that's so weird. And to her, all other sound is suddenly muffled. And it's like she gets this additional sense. With each tick, you can almost feel everything around you. Tick reverberates through the walls, through the rooms. And inside this room, some concoctions in glass vials that seem to bear some magical capability. Definitely liquids. You can see them sloshing around. You can feel their presence, the liquid form. These are cylindrical shaped. There's six of them stacked up in a pile, like a pyramid. And that's the only magic I sense from inside the room. That's it. Great. The door, if you check the doorknob, this time is locked. Well splendid. Good news. Nothing magical at all coming from our target's room. But this time, the door is locked, I'm afraid. He did not repeat that mistake. I don't have any particular ability to walk through doors. Then I don't have any way to open a locked door. <clears throat> anyway, that's our show, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to that cocktail party. Drinks. <laughs> Esper is a person who has a lot of necklaces and various piercings, but particularly in necklaces, is there something sharp and thin on one of Esper's necklaces that they might be able to try and make use as a lockpick? Sure. I mean, you know Esper better than anybody. I'm sure she would have something like that. You could use an improvised lockpick. It would be with disadvantage. It's the best I got, though. Yeah, absolutely. Never done this before, but here goes nothing. That's a five. You insert the the necklace piece. It's long and thin, and it fits inside of the lock. And as you you insert it, you go to pull it, and you notice it's stuck in the lock. Oh shit! Oh sh- shit! I, I she has to try and wiggle it out wiggle it some more, even if it's just to free it. 
are using sleight of hand or athletics to try to achieve this. I think Esper, in a moment of panic, is going to use athletics. Okay. Go ahead and roll athletics. It's an 11. You pull on your necklace, and it pulls the entire lock mechanism out of the handle. You hear it rip out, and the door's unlocked, but it's obviously done so. Oh. The, however, the necklace does unstuck itself from the lock mechanism, if that helps. Well, I guess we can get in now. Yes. Fuck-ups do have a way of simplifying one's course of action. You know, uh, here, and Esper is going to hand it to Dr. Glass, just in case, and, and point to the doorknob, pick up the lock mechanism from the floor, and hand that over as well. She shoves it all in her bag. Just see what you can do with that, because I don't know when they're coming back. I'll... I'll go get... She is going into the room. You run into the room, and something's different about it. The bed's properly made. The chair that was in the corner is turned around and facing the room like it belongs there. And the man who you saw tied to the chair, he's laying on the freshly made bed, his face turned away from you. He looks, besides the unkempt hair, which you noticed earlier, like he's wearing a silk robe. What the f- Hey, hey, hey. She's gonna reach up. And yet she has to reach considerably far over the mattress because she's so small. And to put her hand over his arm and give him a tiny shake. You shake his arm and you see him like a little bit out of it for a second as if he's waking up. He turns over and startled. Oh! What are you... I think I saw you earlier today. You, you saw me t- today? Well, you, t- you were in the chair. You, and by the way, looking at this man, you clearly can recognize him. I should have said this sooner. You clearly can recognize him as the same man you encountered in the cargo hold. I wanted my ether. Huh. How did you get up here? Why, why are you in the room? Why were you tied up? You see... He contemplates for a moment. I... I... wasn't... tied up. I I don't know what you're talking about. I... um... uh... From when I saw him in the chair and from now, can Esper tell if in either of the two states he was high? Roll medicine with advantage. And also, I know I'm not in there, but I should have asked earlier, because Izzy would know this. Would uh, the ethers register as magical? They do. You notice them in the room. That's what I had assumed. And you still have your detect magic up. And if you peek inside while Esper is interacting with this person, you can see there is a safe on a table where those ethers rest. Uh... 
you will also see the espers glowing. Uh, the first roll was a zero, the second roll was a four. You notice dark bags under his eyes, but he also just woke up. The robe obscures his body. You can't see if the rope marks are there, at least on first glance. And it's hard to tell, and he looks at you, and his, his confusion now turning a bit to frustration. You should, shouldn't be in my room. Why are you in my room? This isn't your room, it's that prick's room. No. No, it's my room. Who are you? I'm... I'm Sam. Sam Thompson. Are you feeling all right, Sam? I feel better than ever. Is anyone coming in the hallway? So, Dr. Glass, you're in the hallway, and you have the lock mechanism and the necklace. They're disconnected now. The door... They're in her bag. The door handle has a little hole in it where the lock mechanism belongs. And are you just standing watch, or are you doing anything out there? She was standing watch, but she's thinking of, this is taking too long, and she's thinking about going in there and hustling them out. I would say... I don't know if she can hear the conversation. I kind of assume she can. I would say the conversation's muffled. Roll me a perception check, and roll me... No, actually, just one perception check, because I'll use that for two things. Just an 11 on perception. You can hear just glimmers of the conversation, and you can tell that this man seems to not want to leave. I'd say that's all you can tell. And also, you hear one set of footsteps in the hallway below you, moving very slowly, but there's still footsteps you recognize. No... Um, do I know if there's a way to get out of here that does not cross his path? The hallway, as Esper has paced it many times, has a window at the end. It does open, but it opens to a sheer drop off of the ship. And all you see is white. Uh, she glances in at Esper and says into her mind... It's too late. He's coming. You need to get out of there and seem inconspicuous. And she drops Detect Magic and casts Invisibility on herself. The man in front of you sees you pause for a second. Wait, you got in here? Um, that means you know how to jimmy a lock. That's safe over there. Would you open it for me? I wouldn't say that I know how to jimmy a lock, but but I do know where some soft ether is. Yeah? Yeah. Where? Do you want to come? We can split a vial. You want to come get some? You see him thinking very hard for a moment. Okay. All right, come on. And where are you going? By the way, I am. the footsteps are on the sta- just at the bottom of the staircase now. Is there any other door on this level that we're at? And like, there's some other rooms at the bottom of the staircase. They're also locked on the bottom of the stair. The bottom of the, the, staircase, bottom of the staircase is still a one-way trip to through another hallway. And he's at that bottom. Yes, you're on a dead end hallway with a door that has a hole in the lock. Is there anything kind of heavy in this room, but also wieldable? 
There's some lamps. There's the safe. It's very heavy. That would be tough to wield. Um, you notice a vase, a couple chairs. The vase. All right. Gonna have to do some distraction work. I. If you. I, I don't. I don't want to get in trouble. I, I. I don't. All you have to do is act like nothing happened. Okay. And I'll. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Just lie back down. All right. And. And. He almost mindlessly slowly lowers himself to the bed and turns back into his position, facing away from the door. While he does, Esper is getting uh, any sort of spare chair, not one that's fancy or anything, a stool even, something that she can climb up onto. You can find a chair. Okay. She'll bring it with her to be basically against the wall behind the door when it opens. Dr. Glass... You know the footsteps are just rounding the stairwell. The door next to you, assuming you're keeping it closed in between, the only sign on the door of any tampering is the handle. You're standing alone in this hallway, having delivered the message to Esperanza. What are you doing? I mean, do I think I can put the handle back? I'm assuming not. In the words of the famous Matt Mercer, <laughs> you can certainly try. I mean, but then that's probably all the time I have is to try that. I would say you get a solid attempt in before the stairs are fully rounded. But then if I fail, then that's it. Who knows? This is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> uh, what role is it to try to put the door handle back in the fucking hole? Depending on how you're doing it, I would say if you're trying to be a bit technical about it, sleight of hand, uh, to actually insert it properly, and maybe it'll work. If you just want it to look something, then perhaps athletics might work for this. Getting it in there. Well, my my athletics is negative two, and my sleight of hand is a full zero. That's still, so, uh, you know, depending on I the DC. I guess we'll go sleight of hand. All right. Please... Roll sleight of hand as you reach into your bag and fumble about a moment with this. Help me void. Help me void. Eleven. You insert this lock into the doorknob. It seems to click. It, And as you look at it, you see it is in its space. The lip of it very, very hard to notice, mind you, is protruding just a bit. And the footsteps round to the top of the stairs, and you have just about a second more. Are you doing anything else to, to present yourself before you know that a head is about to peek up the rounded stairwell? Do I have any memory of Felix having an ability to see through invisibility. No. Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, then I'd like to pull something heavy or substantial out of my bag and just 
get as like press myself in the corner as far away from him as possible. My hope is just to like I'm not gonna try to sneak past him because again, like I've got the cane, I've got the I've got too much stuff. Again, I'm not stealthy. I just want to be. You press yourself up against the wall, invisible. Okay, nineteen. Thank you, advantage. Thank you, invisibility. You see as fingers crossed. Lord Felix Royce's head appears at the stairwell, walking slowly towards his door. On the inside, Esperanza stands on a chair, holding a vase right behind the door, and the man is laying on the bed, back turned to it. He gets to the door and reveals his key, which he fumbles on a keychain. He goes to insert it into the lock, and as he inserts the key, he tries to turn it, but it's stuck. So he jiggles it a bit, giving it a wiggle to see if that'll release it. You hear, oh, these old ships. And the lock mechanism comes out with the key. He looks at it, and you see he clearly has not noticed you. And you can see his face of contemplation as he pauses for a long time. He takes the key and the lock mechanism, bends down and gently places it on the floor next to the door. And you see as he reaches into his coat pocket, pulls out a revolver. Dr. Glass would like to come up behind him and hit him with her cane. You start to, Right in the back of the head. You start to walk up behind him. You're able to be quite silent. These floors, the first class cabin, God bless them because they're very well made. Not a single creak. And as you approach, you hold your cane above his head. Please roll to hit with advantage uh oh with advantage good because that wasn't great 17 Trevor please roll athletics as you try to yank open this hatch door here I go 18 the door is very hard to pull you get all of your might behind it and with one solid pull it rips away from the metal the crystallized salt having been holding it down making a very loud bang in the middle of the ship at the same time Asteria you lower your cane quickly decisively to hit him in the head and you do so he's clocked and his revolver goes off firing into the floor just as the hatch in the center pulls open trevor you see a ladder and you feel air rushing out of the mechanical room very quickly I heard a bang. Did you get it? Just go now. <coughs> He's just going to basically throw himself uh, feet first 
uh, trying to catch the ladder and climb down as fast as he can. Nihilus quickly follows the sounds in the center of the ship and tries to make his way. You're pulled towards the hatch and you find your way in and you can feel air rushing out. So I suppose you close the hatch as, as soon you as go I get in or Nihilus no? down in there, yes. Um, and you do so. For as, for as long as he's had his head out there, he is turning fucking purple out and then the salt. Oh, oh, that was quite the experience, eh? Uh, quite f- oh, you are you all right? What happened to your breather? Didn't work. Then you, uh, there was the emergency cord. Did you not pull it? Uh, ain't nothing there. Oh, wait. C- calm down. Calm down. The more rapidly you breathe, the worse it will be for your lungs. Stand still. Calm down. I will place my hand on your chest. Don't fucking touch me. Puts his hand right on your arm and pushes it away. He will keep it still at a distance, respecting, respecting space, respecting the moment, respecting the dreadful intent in his words. Please, I will only help. I will act as a mere guiding. Please, Master's Desimodium, aid my ally in his deepest desire and need. Now is thy time. And as he says that, he will cast healing word. There's no light. There's no fancy magic. There's just a calming sensation. As any little scrapturing wounds you have received from the salt trying to puncture your skin will be like a smoothing oil put on your skin to ease some of the pain. Hopefully this might calm you down. Spare your breath. We will get through this. It's mighty kind of you. And you see as he says that, he has his arms kind of like braced around his chest. Let us proceed. Thanks. Let's just machines there behind the gate I don't know what that's about but maybe you do so just let me get my breath yes even though we might have some breath here I wouldn't take our chances let us make haste Nihilus walks towards the machine Nihilus what do you think of it you look at the machine and you can see sprawlings of writing on it and the instructions seem to be passed down from engineer to engineer there are even signatures under each. And among the different instructions you can read, pull left lever to eject stuck material, unscrew pipe cap to do manual inspection as an option. You see power cycle in the rear of the device, take off the mechanical cap, disconnect a wire and reconnect it. There's few troubleshooting options. He will try to rely on his instincts of his natural intelligence. It shouldn't be something this difficult, is what he thinks to himself. And he will try to follow the instructions one by one to follow the steps in order to how to reset it, this machine. You do so. You go to pull the lever and you hear a thrusting sound clang against the machine. It makes it 
It implies to you that something is stuck in there. It just doesn't let loose when you pull the lever. You go to the inner hatch in the front and you pull the panel off and you look inside and you see two of the pipes have been encrusted with a a layer of salt where the filter's supposed to be. And so I suppose you could try to knock it loose. He tries to find the stick or he will borrow the stick that he has uh, that we have took with us uh, from Trevor and he will try to just jam beers, try to get rid of some of the deposit. You do so. And as you hit these deposits of salt against the filter, they crumble and fall out of the exhaust of the ship. You hear the machine bang and the air starts flowing again. As simple as that. And all the saints that favor. Now I thank you most. Trevor, it is working. Let's get us back. Cool. I think I'm going to take a second. I ain't got no your, rebreather. Your breathing. It is finished. I mine. Let me take a look. You look at it and you see the little indicator for oxygen is also depleted. <sighs> he tries to... Have... He tries to take an understanding of the the room, the space that they're in right now. Have a moment of 10 seconds of clarity and calculation. In a situation of this, how long can they stay in a room like this before things are too worse for them to even stay conscious? Roll. Roll investigation. Will do. For a total of 21. You look around the room, you walk slowly over to the hatch and look up, and around the walls, and it's at that point you notice there's a space behind the machine, but behind the fence that isn't easily accessible. It's awkward to get to. You have to walk around the machine and around some pipes, and as you bend over, bend down under one of the pipes, you see there's little drawings on the wall. Well, sprawlings, pictures. You see this, the floor there is a little stained. And as you investigate a little bit further, you see at the bottom, in Universalis, you stuck in here too, with a question mark and a smiley face. And you see instructions written next to that. And under the instructions, it has the word... Wait. Hopefully the ship docks eventually. Trevor. Yeah. In here. He's gonna... He's been slumped up against a wall for a bit. You can tell that that uh, outdoor excursion really took it out of him. And he's just going to start um, making his way to the machine, just peering behind it. What you got? I... The, you see this hole? This this tight space down there? Yeah. I have good news and bad news. I believe I am an optimistic man. And we shall persevere. Great. Eventually. <sighs> I don't see any other way out. But I see a place where we could crawl and stay put. <sighs> 
looking, kind of trying to see where Nihilus's eyes are going to. Is this a... I, am I able to squeeze my way in there? It's a rabbit warren of pipes and wires and cables, but sure. And you'll see if you look down beneath it, even before squeezing your way under, it looks like you're not the first person to get stuck here during the saturation. We can't just wait this out. This thing, we still have We days. cannot go out there without the rebreather. Listen, if I just... Our only hope is to wait. We just give ourselves a chance to recover, a chance to get our, 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 our voice, our breath back. We can... We can make a run for it. We know where it is now, right? We can... There's got to be another way. We're not going to last if we Trevor. just stay here. Trevor, if we miss the door, our fate shall be sealed. I believe this to be the safer course of action. It will not be comfortable. I will be frank with you on this. I'm being quite serious here. We have done a great service, a great deed, a great boon for any on board. This, this saturation is not to be underestimated. Whatever. I'll, I'm not going without you, and you don't seem to be going anywhere, so I gotta wait anyway. Might as well wait here, right? Right. Hey, they, they mentioned they have many more rebreathers. They noticed the engines are on. It only takes a minor mind to realize the situation where we could be in right now. Clearly, we are not the first. They might be right behind us. But please, it's better to breathe in there. You can tell that uh, Trevor is, at this point, starting to pace around uh, the area. He's kind of muttering to himself. Curse. They knew fucking nuke that gave me that rebreather, knowing that it was shit. They sent me down here knowing I weren't gonna have a way to get back up. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna lock the door behind me knowing I can't go back out there until I slowly expire. They plan for this, those fuckers! And just gonna punch the iron wall as hard as he can. Just echoing throughout the room. That was such a fucking idiot. Whatever. My if plan you look sucks. At Nihilus, Let's just do your so. If you look at Nihilus, you can see a, a, a composed man bearing the face of compassion, understanding. This might be to your own opinion, the, the first signs of how you would recognize a, a priest in your everyday life compared to how Nihilus has acted so far. But you also still notice that even with this situation as dire as it is, you still feel that understanding of blessing that you have upon you. You can notice that Nihilus is focusing on that concentration with his own panic movement and breathing he does try to focus and concentrate as he is standing ready to offer you to go first fine I don't I don't mean to, to lash out I just it's quite alright I understand I do 
sincerely think or hope that they did not intend to give you a rebreather uh, which was faulty but you're proving them wrong by your own constitution and sheer will keeping you in a strong fate you're alive let's keep us so I'm alive I don't know I suppose I'll take it it's all I can take thank you he's just gonna walk past him sort of wedge himself into the smaller space to see where it leads Trevor as you crawl underneath the mechanisms and pipes to this little room that's clearly been used before you find a small piece of cloth tucked into the corner if you pull it you'll uncover a bottle of Elysian effervescence it's a very expensive wine and the same smiley face written on the wall is copied on the bottle that'll do <laughs> at least it'll help wash the taste out of my mouth <laughs> before you hear Nyla start to crawl behind you is uh, when you can really start to hear him cough up as well this, his entire lungs it's like he was holding his breath trying to hold his composure <laughs> and he will follow uh, just as soon as Trevor's in the room uh, he's just going to once again brace his back up against a wall and just slowly slide down into a seated position still has the bottle of wine in his hand kind of swoosh it around a little bit he's gonna use his hand and try and rip the cork out I'll take a little swig kind of offer it up to Nihilus we're gonna be here a while you wanna he nods and definitely accepts almost as a pure instinctful reaction and a bit quicker than one might imagine from a man like him but yes thank you Might as well enjoy ourselves <laughs> it's awful <laughs> you fucking wimp it's incredibly salty <laughs> take it back and take another pull just put it on the ground between them <sighs> just sit across and just eye contact with each other just silence mm -hmm. somewhere else on the ship well not quite somewhere else but somewhere specific Dr. Glass Please roll damage. Uh, sorry, that was max damage, I believe. So seven. You strike him on the head, and you see a little bit of blood. He falls onto the ground, tumbling as the door with no latch opens on its own. And Esper, you see this man fall just in front of you as you stand on the chair with a vase in your hand. The revolver had gone off, but that noise that came from outside was also very loud and if you wait for just a moment you don't hear any footsteps coming in your direction but this man tumbles onto the floor 
and he lies there motionless for the moment. And in Esper's head, she hears, Get the gun, get the gun. There's that moment of being stunned and watching it, and then the sound in her head jolts her into motion. She, she hops off of the stool, she puts the vase back where she found it, runs and snatches up the gun, and for lack of a better plan, she just books it to her room. Esper runs by, bolting down the stairs and into the room that she resides in. You run to your room, holding this gun, and you slam the door closed. You're in there, and it's silent. Your adrenaline is pumping. It's... It's hard to know what to make of what just happened. It's hard to even feel in the grasp of her fingers the gun that she's holding with both hands. She seems for a very long time to not know what to do with it. She's standing just in the in the doorway after she closed the door. Statue still. It takes a good minute for her to even move again, to move and to hop herself onto her bed and just sit there. Her mind racing with what might have happened to Dr. Glass, what might have happened to the, the fancy asshole. And eventually she looks down and her eyes start boring into the gun. She's also listening outside. She's got a vague sense of, is Augie going to come back in at any minute? And then her mind sticks on it. Augie. Augie. And the ether. Augie let her keep the ether. The same ether that the man who was making everything confusing back up in that fancy room. I think first, Esper is going to fiddle with the gun and try to kind of learn in real time how to empty the barrel. She'll stuff the bullets under her mattress and the gun under Mr. Augie's mattress before she climbs back into bed and takes out from her pack her three daily doses of soft ether. And thinking as hard as she can as she takes out one of those doses, as hard as she can, the same way she managed to force her thoughts in verbal form back to Dr. Glass, Augie left me in control of the drugs. She's taking out that dose. She's lifting it up, giving it a little shake. And at the top, where there's the uh, pressure release to the tablet, she's snapping that bit of glass as she lets the pressure pour a dose of soft ether into her mouth well before her 24-hour uh, cycled dosage time. It's almost warm, the sensation as it flows into your esophagus, you feel its warmth, and you look at your hand as it fades in and out for a moment, and then focuses more intently, and your vision has this radial glow around the edges. You can feel its effects almost immediately. I think she's going to do her best 
keep the strain of thought in her mind. My charge let me take care of my own drug usage. My charge left me with my drugs. My charge left me with my drugs. She has to be fucked up enough so that everybody who tries to look at her knows she must not have been in her right mind if she is accused. And if she is this fucked up, whose fault is it? The man who left her in charge of the drugs. The door to your room cracks open a bit. You see a elegant cocktail glass in a hand to push it open. Hey, Asper. Oh, look who's back. You okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, look, mm-hmm. I've heard uh, from some of the kitchen staff you've been gallivanting about the ship. Uh, can't um. do that anymore. Uh, you're confined to quarters. And the door slams shut. And you hear it latch from the outside. <laughs> yeah. Sure thing, Hockey. Doctor Glass. Doc. Doctor. Glass. And Doctor Glass, you're standing over a body. You see inside the room, the man who was laying on the bed has rolled over, sitting up, and he looks incredibly concerned toward you. So he's wearing a silk robe. Does it look like he's wearing something under the robe? It's tough to tell. It's not the description that Esper gave you, that's for sure. Uh. Did, did you, um, did, did you kill him? And she tries to do that cool person thing where you turn someone over with just your foot and there's no she has no chance of successfully doing that so she just kind of kicks him ineffectually uh and then remembers that she needs her cane to actually stand and she says turn him over will you let's find out he goes over walking across the room and kneels down next to him and with both of his hands he pulls the body over body bodies are incredibly heavy, much more than you'd think. And he strains a bit to do so, but Lord Felix Royce flips over limply. You see his eyes are fluttering a bit. He'll be fine. Trust me, I'm a doctor. I recommend you go wherever you came from, and if he gave you that robe, leave it here. Don't take anything with you that he gave you. I... Where where do I I, I go? To your room? I I don't know. Uh, Okay. He stands, looks back into the room for a moment, looks down the hall. I... If you want to, come find me later and tell me what the hell's going on and why he held you captive. Actually, can she... Take a closer look at him. Just Does she notice that he's perhaps drugged? or Can she clock his deal? 
Roll medicine. I'm proficient in deal clocking. 19. With a 19, you can tell around his wrists there are bruises where ropes might have been. As he stands now, the robe pulls a bit, and you can see them. And under his eyes, the dark bags, from a clinical perspective, imply that he doesn't sleep much, and he's been, in the past, heavily medicated. A bit too much. Wait, so he he's still tied up? No, but you see the bruises showing that he oh, was. Oh, sorry. A robe. Mm-hmm. Sorry. The robe pulls. Um, and she directs him to Trevor's room off the galley. Says, go see my man Trevor. I'll find you the... Uh, tell him that the doctor sent you. He stammers a bit. I, uh... And I'll find you later to ask you some questions. Yes, I'll... I'll... No, I mean... And as he's answering, you see Lord Felix Roy starting to rouse. His eyes... I cast sleep. I kneel down and, uh, like, I'm checking his pulse. And, you know, I say, like, hush now. Don't move. You'll make it worse. And try to disguise that I'm casting sleep. But I cast sleep on him. Falling into the world of D&D rules, how much HP can you cover with your sleep? Let's see. Uh... I could upcast it and use my last second level slot, but I don't think she would. She thinks he's low because he was unconscious. Uh, so uh, shall I roll my 5d8? Please do. Those are some good rolls. 24. With a 24, you see as his eyes get heavy for just a moment, and he looks very out of it. But then they open widely. And for the first time in this most unflattering position. You know, the way he's laying, you can see his neck. You know, he looks unkempt. His hair is not proper. And a scowl falls upon his face. Dr. Glass. And she really thought she'd have the gun for this part. Uh, and she, she says to the guy, get the fuck out of here. The guy stands there for a moment, panicked, like a deer in headlights, and then looks down. Mr. Felix, Mr. Felix, they they broke into your room. And he runs into the room, goes into the bathroom, and slams the door shut. Dr. Glass, please. And she's going to hold the head of her cane to Felix's throat and try to act as confident as she would as if she also had his revolver in her hand. Please roll a intelligence saving throw. <laughs> you want to call that, that one? That would be a four. <laughs> Give me just one moment. Should I also take a moment to roll up another character? Get your affairs in order? I just, just need a second here. Maybe get a drink. Dr. Glass, you see as you stand over his body, your cane 
pressed just up to his throat, looking as menacing as you can, and you feel a voice enter your head. You know this sensation. It's the same communication that you provide to others, but it's stronger, a lot more than the simple chatter that can happen between heads. It's nails on a chalkboard. It's a scream into your head. And you hear, Let me show you something. And with that, you start to feel as your vision starts to blur. The focus on your cane and his body shifts in and out. And you start to feel your head is light. As you slump back a bit, leaning into the wall behind you and you find yourself not in your body but what seems to be somebody else's you're sitting at a desk and writing some notes these are highly technical notes you being so highly trained can see this is the most technical study at the Circle of Whispers. And then you fall out of this body. You float through the ether. And it's as if your view, disembodied, floats to the top of the room. And you see Lord Felix Royce enter this room. And the body you just left as Abelard. You hear, Oh, um, Royce, uh, I wasn't expecting to see you. Oh, yes. I always hate to be a bother, as you know. I just had some questions for you regarding our studies. They're private, just because they're of a personal matter. Well, uh, it's fine. Sit. And Abelard, being none the wiser, goes over to his decanter and pours two glasses. One for himself, and one for Mr. Royce. Mr. Royce looks over at Abelard and begins, I've been thinking a lot about our studies together, and I just don't understand why it is You're just constantly giving me theory, theory this, theory that, and it's starting to bother me. Uh, I told you, Felix, you're not ready, volatile, you you don't respect the study, you exploit it, and once you learn more of theory, you'll move to practicality. Ah, yeah, right, right. Um, I almost forgot. I did want to ask, though, the 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 vintners eclipse, the wine. What what age is it? Uh, I I got this from the market. Um, I believe it's uh, actually I don't know. I, I didn't ask. Hmm. Not quite the man of class that you come across to be, are you? What do you mean? And you notice his words trail a bit. What do you mean? Right. Now that it's just me, 
let's move things along. He walks over to a safe, and you see him punch in a code to it. And Abelard, his body's starting to go a little bit limp. You know, his hand on his desk swings over, knocking some things over as he looks towards the safe and he tries to say something as you hear oh right I know your codes Uh, I'll spare you the excruciating tale of hearing how long it took me to get them he opens the safe and here your vision is blurred it's like you're intentionally being denied view of something and he pulls out something, and that blur follows along with it. He walks over to Abelard. You are an unfortunate old man. And in this current state, I find you to be quite useless. And at that point, you see him close his eyes and tilt his head back a bit. Oh, stop. Of course I can hear you. No. No. Dr. Glass. How interesting. Don't accept your threats. But let me trade you with one of my own. And you see him pull a eloquently forged dagger from his belt. And he places it to the bottom of Abelard's chin. Um, Mr. Cook, Abelard, I, Lord Felix Royce, do hereby proclaim that your services are no longer needed among the circle of whispers. And you see as the dagger protrudes through the other side of his head. Dr. Glass, you begin to come to, and you notice your feet are bound, your hands are bound, and you're sitting in a chair in a dark room. You see in front of you that same dagger lies on the floor, just ten feet away. What do you do? Well, my hands are tied at the wrists, correct? My fingers can move? Correct. Uh, Then I wiggle them this way and that, and my shadowy hand friend picks up the dagger and cuts the ropes. The hand floats over, picks up the dagger, floats behind you, and the ropes are freed. And you have both of your hands. And it uh, cuts the ropes around my ankles as well, as I look around and see if anyone's about to punch me in the face or anything. (laughs) And if Abelard's cane, my cane, is anywhere. It's practically a broom closet, but all of your things seem to be in a neat pile in the corner of the room. Including your like cane. Like the things that I had on me? Not my luggage, right? Not your luggage. Do I have any sense of how much time has passed? You, you can roll intelligence 
It would be a high DC, but I could give you some information. Go ahead and roll it. I mean, I guess I could look at my watch, too, but that wouldn't tell me if I've been here for days. Um, if I've been here for days, I'm in bad shape. It's just an eight on intelligence. You know that your head hurts really bad, and you feel an aching in your bones more, much more than usual. You feel tired, hungry, and thirsty. It's like all of your bodily functions are at their lowest point. You can stand. You can move. You'd have to press on your cane just a little bit more than usual. Well, it's very strange that I would have been left this way so politely after all that. With it being so easy for me to get out. So I listen at the door. You hear ocean waves. You hear seagulls. Uh, can I open the door? You go to put your hand on the doorknob and it opens. It unlatches. It's one of those doorknobs that open from the inside but not always from the outside. And as you open the door... You see you're standing on the hull of her royal rose. You see the air is clear, except out in the distance where into the ocean you do still see a thick white fog. And as you open the door fully, you step out and you look in the other direction to find beautiful Port Hillcrest. You step out onto the deck and towards the edge of the ship the ship that looks empty and you see some things floating in the water below it's your luggage is it more than 30 feet below? significantly so you waited all this time to pitch it overboard just to spite me I almost admire that and she looks out at Port Hillcrest and makes a mental note to find some place to buy a change of underwear and socks. But first, she better find that girl with that gun and hopefully Trevor. I think that will be a good place to end today's session. I just want to say, everybody, this is my favorite D&D I have ever played. You're all amazing, and this is going to be one of the best campaigns ever.